We're here with Imani Jacqueline Brown from Fossil Free Fest. Imani, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Yeah, happy to. So I guess maybe a good way to begin would be just to talk a little bit about where the idea for Fossil Free Fest came from. Sure, thank you. So Fossil Free Fest has been, um, well, first of all, fossil free culture is an international movement, um, kind of uh, universe of movements uh, organized by artists and culture workers and arts workers and administrators, um, activists, people who recognize the significance of the cultural sector in really not just uh, projecting, uh, but also defending the values of a society, defending the values um, projecting visions, um, offering inspiration, and serving as a tool for communication um, about complex issues mm-hmm. um, in today's world. And you know, this group of um, intersectional uh, people and backgrounds and experiences really realized that um, the connection of the cultural sector to industry uh, that has a harmful or oppressive impact on society um, is eroding the ability of the cultural sector to uh, serve its its innate function, to do what it needs to do, um, to communicate, to protect and project values, um, to inspire. Um, and uh, fossil free culture is um, particularly concerned with the influence of the fossil fuel industry on that sector. Um, as um, we, as um, individuals, as institutions, as, as society at large are struggling with um, the looming reality of climate change and trying to understand what our responsibility is and where our agency is in um, in dealing with it. So um, Fossil Free Fest has kind of come out of this larger fossil free culture movement um, uh, that I was lucky to connect with um, in 2015 um, at the uh, COP21 in Paris, um, and uh, it's been a dream of mine to try to realize uh, for years because of the recognition that basically all of our cultural, educational, and, and even science institutions in Southeast Louisiana are funded mm-hmm. by the fossil fuel industry. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's very clear evidence um, that uh, this funding uh, is having a silencing effect um, on our communities. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, I mean, it's a little bit of a tangent, but something that comes to mind is Entergy's pulling their funding from WBOK just this week. Right. Yeah, we just learned of that, right? And I think it's important that we realize that um, funding um, philanthropy uh, does not just occur um, out of the uh, goodness of Mm -hmm. these corporations' metallic hearts, right? I mean, Citizens United says that corporations are people. Well, corporations don't have feelings. They Mm -hmm. don't have ethics. They have bottom lines. Mm -hmm. Um, And even CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility, um, is a calculated response to the recognition um, by corporate boards and CEOs that uh, they have to justify their mm-hmm. existence. They have to justify their continued extraction from the population's extraction of resources and labor, what have you. Um, and that philanth- uh, philanthropic uh, giving is one way to uh, soften the image of a corporation in the eyes of the general public, uh, to um, make the corporation seem to be an essential um, and inextric- inextricable component mm-hmm. of society. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But of course, we always have to remember, remember that a corporation has to look after its bottom line, its mm -hmm. responsibility to its shareholders is at the core of its mission. Mm -hmm. um, and so if this funding was not in the interest of maintaining the corporation's profit ability, then they would not be giving it. Um, right. So what does that mean for us, right, as the recipients? Um, we have to recognize that um, this is not just, you know, um, that, that this funding uh, actually comes with uh, a cost. Yeah. Um, and it comes with expectations of us as recipients. So in a way, I mean, even, you know, this, this manifestation of the fossil free movement in the fossil free fest, just by being not funded by those corporations is, is in some ways a major intervention of having a sort of cultural production and a cultural scene that's outside of that paradigm in some way. Yeah. And, you know, it's um, we've been very intentional about where we've gotten funding for Fossil Free Fest. And mm -hmm. I'm proud to say that I am proud to say the names of my funders out uh -huh. loud. Right. I mean, it. It, it's we've been intentional and it feels good to be able to say that we've gotten funding from Lush Charity Pot, from Chorus Foundation and from Solidaire. Mm -hmm. um, but it also means that we have a, a really incredible relationship um, mm -hmm. with our donors uh, yeah. that I am starting to realize is not going to be a one off relationship um, that Lush, for example, um, Lush is a corp uh, it's a it's a cosmetic company mm -hmm. um, founded in the UK and they donate um, space in their stores uh, to activist groups. They um, they donate all the proceeds from uh, the sale of their charity pot lotion to different groups and um, ha uh, have been supporting breakout locally here mm -hmm. in New Orleans for a while. Um, they're excited to celebrate Fossil Free Fest uh, by actually sending staff people uh, to the event, you know, mm -hmm. um, which you know, I think is wonderful. I think that it's interesting when a funder actually wants to be a part of, um, of what they're producing. Um, they're an entirely vegetarian organization, mm -hmm. which I find also really interesting to start to understand like a company culture that is actually thoughtful and that does go beyond uh -huh. that bottom line that I described. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it is, I mean, it is interesting to think about, you know, you have this, this entity that is this large company or corporation, but that is, you know, you think about shit, I mean, I think about so many different companies who like are mandated to spend a certain amount of money on these kind of things. And, right. and, and it's such a write off and it's such a thing that's like, exactly like you say, is like, we're just going to do whatever's in our own interest. Like that is really interesting to they're sending people. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. Um, and, and Chorus Foundation as well, you know, um, mm -hmm. they're, I'm already, they're, they're, they're a part of this, uh, other conference of funders called Edge Funders and a part of this larger network of groups that are trying to di support direct action work, um, mm -hmm. and grassroots organizing. And I think that's the thing that all of these, um, funders have in common is that they support direct action work, yeah. right? So it's not just, um, it's, it's not I mean, general operating support is invaluable, mm -hmm. um, programming support, obviously, but it's really interesting that they are trying to support people who are doing this really um, difficult work and are, um, you know, putting their, their bodies on the lines and, and are acting with a sense of urgency. Um, I don't feel that I'm necessarily putting my body on the line. There are people in the state and in the city who are doing some really incredible work mm -hmm. around Loe La Vie camp, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, fighting back against the Bayou Bridge pipeline. People are, are threatened 
um, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope as well that like through Fossil Free Fest that these organizations can um, become more familiar with the like wider work that's happening in the city and um, provide support in those you know uh, areas as well. Well, it seems like a big, I mean, sort of shifting a little bit to, to thinking about content and some curatorial decisions around the Fossil Free Fest. I mean, it seems like even just in the, in the people who are represented and who are presenting and speaking, there's a lot of overlay of people who are doing, I guess, sort of cultural work and art production. I guess a lot of things, cultural work sort of is a pretty encompassing, <laughs> encompassing concept here, but, but then people who are working in policy. I noticed that uh, Monique Hardin, for example, on the first day of... Uh, uh, at the Joan Mitchell Center is the mm-hmm. keynote speaker uh, and then people who are doing sort of more science-based stuff and also people who have been working here in New Orleans and in Louisiana for a very long time and people who are coming nationally and so so kind of that magnifying and amplifying what people are doing is happening just in who's in the room presenting. Yeah, we've been very intentional about about bringing people into the fest and wanting to ensure that both uh, the presenters and participants um, are coming from a wide range of backgrounds mm-hmm. um, and types of experience and sectors because there's too often this siloing that happens, I think, especially around environmentalism, where, you know, you've got your environmental activists who are doing this incredible work. Um, and are these, you know, strangely, these canaries in the coal mine who are just, you know, trying to draw attention to the fact that our world is dying, that we're we're we're. Um, completely um, destroying our our ability to to live in this in the, on this planet. Um, Louisiana has the fastest land loss in the mm-hmm. world. We're losing a football field of land every forty five minutes. Um, you know we don't have any protection um, against future hurricanes uh, due to the destruction of the wetlands in large part by the drilling of over 10,000 linear miles of oil access canals, right? And so we've got people who are trying to draw attention to the fact that our way of life is unsustainable and it's killing us, um, but no one wants to listen. And we have so many silos of incredibly important issues. The cultural sector is incredibly important. You know, if we might say that if, if there wasn't art in this world, if there wasn't creative expression of what we're seeing and feeling and experiencing, then, you know, well, we wouldn't want to live in the world. We, yeah. What's a planet without art? What's a humanity without art? Uh, we have, you know, movements, the movement for black lives. We have so many different, um, so many different significant issues. Everything is, everything feels so, um, every, everything feels to, to be at threat right mm-hmm. now, right? And, and so people feel overwhelmed and they silo and, and they focus on an issue area, but all of these issues are interconnected. I mean, when some, uh, Dr. Beverly Wright actually said at the Tulane uh, mm-hmm. Climate Summit that, you know, climate justice is, not, is necessarily environmental justice, right? Like you can't talk about climate change without talking about those people who are um, on the front lines, those people who um, will be and have been most directly impacted. And those are black and brown um, communities, working class mm-hmm. communities throughout this region, right? Mm-hmm. These, these issues are naturally um, intersecting. Um, and just as the arts and culture sector is, is you know, struggling with um, the ongoing, the long-term defunding of the public sector, mm-hmm. um, the, the sequestering of, of arts away from general life and framing of it as some, you know, secondary weekend activity, um, you know, a, a pay-to-play kind of uh, activity. 
Um, the arts and culture sector is concerned about being able to survive and keep their lights on and, and provide their services to people. But again, there is no arts and culture sector if there is no planet. <laughs> if yeah. we don't have any yeah. land on which the museum can sit. Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense for a museum director to be fundraising to keep their lights on without advocating on behalf of the ground yeah. <laughs> on which their museum sits. Yeah. It's a little pathological, I think, this, this separation of, um, of issues, um, the separation of life into its little, you know, into its little boxes and portions. It doesn't make any sense. And so, mm-hmm. of course, the immediate, the first thing we did was say, all right, well, that's not going to work. That's not working. Let's bring, let's bring all this together. Yeah. And there's also a weird tendency, I think, um, and I think that, you know, we activists sometimes do this. Um, we like to have this conversation around purity, right? Yeah. And, and we, we want to make it very clear that, you know, this fest is not meant to wag the finger in anyone's faces. Um, we are all part of this system. Um, we all uh, rely on, 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 except for those, you know, God bless them, who are actually living off the grid somehow, which is illegal. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, yeah. But, like, except for those folk, like, we're all relying on fossil fuels. We're all using yeah. them. There's, like, plastic around us here, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we none of us... Um, we're all complicit. Mm-hmm. And that's what the complicity ses- session, the second day of the fest is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess to also say the first day is equity, which I think I just about summed up in yeah. terms of, you know, those who are the most directly impacted and how absurd it is for us not, for us all to not be fighting on behalf of those who are most directly impacted. Um, and complicity, um, we are all complicit, right? So let's let's do away with this notion of purity. I think we can all... Yeah take greater responsibility for the way that we move in the world, for um, the footprints that we leave behind us as we move through the world. Um, But I don't think that we should frame it in terms of purity. And I've heard some really sad stories about uh, the way that industry workers, for example, are treated by the activist movement, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, they'll come into the room and will be booed. Well, um, one thing that our keynote speaker, Jesse Parfait, um, not to give away the goat, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> what she said to me, which I think is just so important to remember, is that the way that our industry has been set up in this country is very intentional, right? Um, that the Homa, for example, um, ha- were pushed down into this land, mm-hmm. you know, um, over the course of centuries and learned to live in this land and they've been denied nationhood, some say due in large part to the lobbying of the oil industry. Um, and the only jobs left available to them have been within that same industry, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and again, all of us are working within this machine. We are all supporting the machine through our labor. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to survive mm-hmm. and we can't save the world unless we're alive (laughs) to help contribute to building that new future so right so um one of our intentions is uh to do away again with that notion of purity and the separation for some reason of industry workers from the rest of us workers we're all workers so when we say art workers it's to do away with that hierarchy that 
we in the art world often create between those of us who work within the arts, those of us who are administrators and art handlers and installers and curators, um, and workers in other sectors. We're all a part of this working um, shared Louisiana community. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's another sector um, who we're, we're reaching out to. And of course, scientists and um, our other canaries in the coal mine. Um, basically, we recognize that there are experts and stakeholders all across the public that we all need to be in dialogue mm-hmm. um, in order to um, in order in order to decide how we, um, as the people of Southeast Louisiana, are going to transition and move forward together. Yeah, it's a it's there's a there's a lot to do. <laughs> <laughs> Having this conversation and listening to you speak, I mean, it just really gives gives a minute to reflect on on just really how much there is to do and how expansive these sort of like futures and the possibilities for them are you know in yeah. in 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 the direction of uh horror and not <laughs> yeah i mean it's like we have been living for so long with people making decisions for us right yeah. like yeah. new orleans was rebuilt by like these cabals of city planners mm-hmm. and politicians, including, mind you, Mike Pence. Yeah. Um, right? Like, after yeah. after Katrina. And um, our city council is making all sorts of abhorrent uh, decisions uh, to build a fracked gas plant in New Orleans East um, in a neighborhood where, you know, um, poly- post-Katrina housing policy, the, the, the decision to completely bankrupt public housing in the city and to provide um, just um, abundant subsidies uh, to for-profit developers have pushed the most vulnerable of our city, people who came home or or couldn't leave and rebuilt their lives and have now been pushed out, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, people who moved to the east in the 50s in search of, you know, um, the American dream, black people in search of their um, quote-unquote American dream. Um, Vietnamese communities who um, have uh, been building self-sustainable communities for for generations and they're building this fracked gas plant in the middle of Mm -hmm. all of these communities Um, and I you know this is a it's a terrible decision but it's it's not happening in a vacuum of course it's coupled along with the rescinding of the human rights resolution about Mm -hmm. a month ago it's um, coupled with this forthcoming, eventually coming surveillance ordinance, mm-hmm. right? So we have policymakers who are here, um, politicians who are uh, acting um, in their own interests. Um, mm-hmm. One can only assume that um, that their interests have shifted from uh, being representatives of and defenders of the public. Um, along with the greater national zeitgeist, you know, kind of concretized um, by Citizens United, which said that corporations are people yep. um, that al- have have allowed uh, that have you know, removed caps on the amount of money that um, corporations can donate to politicians. So mm-hmm. we can only assume that they are acting in the interest of profit, of their own profit and and enrichment. Um, rather than the enrichment of um, of southeastern Louisiana, and and so we have to say, well, clearly we can't look to them um, to be our saviors any longer. Um, we have had many opportunities since Katrina um, to uh, to to change the way that we exist in this landscape, um, to 
hold the oil industry accountable for um, its role in bringing us to this point. Mm-hmm. And we have chosen to not do so. Our, our politicians have chosen to, to um, regress um, even further, if that's even possible. <laughs> Yeah. So we have to do it ourselves. We need to be making these decisions and we need to make them together. Yeah, I think that's really right. And I think that that, you know, I mean, that, that, that everything that you're saying just makes me think about this word development. And it makes me think about these like this idea that you know, we're so encouraged to think of development as something that happens, you know, at the at the whims of experts, so-called experts and planners and the corporations that they work for. But you know, there's also an equally long tradition of development concepts coming from the people who have to live in a city and have right. to live in a region. And, um, and I mean, that sort of, to, in a way, really sums up to me what, what this event is about and what it does is mm. saying we have these tremendous problems and clearly the so-called experts have failed us, <laughs> you know, and so we need a platform. Right. And we have all the information that, that we need, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this... Part of what Fossil Free Fest is doing is bringing together some of the brilliant um, and inspirational um, um, people and minds who mm-hmm. um, who live here. We have incredible resources here, um, and uh, we also have incredible resources across this country and people who have been um, doing this work to hold um, the cultural sector accountable. And so, Fossil Free Fest is trying to bring. Um, all of these people into dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, you know, I think here in I think here in New Orleans, I think we um, I, I think we're tired in some ways. Like we have been, we were, we are at the front line of climate change. Like we um, were, one might say, you know, the first climate refugees after Katrina in this country, and um, I, I we've been um, we've been fighting to move forward um, for the last almost 13 years and um, been doing so with fights in the streets as well as fights in city hall Mm -hmm. um, and in courtrooms Um, and you know I I hate to say it but I you know I I I really wonder um, where we can go Mm -hmm. from here we've tried we've tried so many things Um, uh, and I think it's really time that I think, well, I think now it's really important in this interview for me to introduce this concept called the social license to operate, Mm -hmm. uh, which is corporate speak for a metaphorical concept that says that society needs to sanction the actions of a corporation saying that the benefits to society outweigh the costs Mm -hmm. um, in order for that company to continue operating. And it's um, a philosophy that uh, the oil industry uses when they make decisions about mm-hmm. giving funding uh, to organizations and particularly to arts and cultural organizations which are beloved by a public mm-hmm. um, and especially beloved by the elite of yep. a public um, you know who love to go to the fancy art galas and whatnot uh, so I think it's really time that we start to reflect um, on ourselves and the way that we are um, are sanctioning the continued relationship between the mm-hmm. oil industry um, and uh, and and our society um, and that you know environmental lawyers and activists um, and and 
the people of, of St. James can't do it alone, right? Yeah. It, it needs to fall on the shoulders of a much broader swath of society who were saying, yeah, you know, that oil spill was bad, but I got my little paycheck, you know, for my cultural institution uh, because of, you know, some trickle down mm -hmm. economic impact from the spill, you know, with without caring about the fisher communities mm -hmm. whose lives and livelihoods were destroyed, without caring about the people of St. James who have the worst air quality uh, mm -hmm. in the country and have had it for, you know, decades. Uh, yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's really just, um, it's about time that we recognize the way that we are upholding the system, um, mm -hmm. all of us, um, the way that our institutions are upholding the system and, and ask ourselves if maybe that's why John Barry's uh, lawsuit couldn't go through. If that's, you know, um, if, if that's why the Fisher communities um, in Southeast Louisiana were getting nickeled and dimed and often getting a mere $2,000 per family in compensation from BP while our institutions got so much more. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and asking why uh, companies like Saysol can continue to uh, destroy uh, black and, and brown communities up and down the river, right? Yep. Um, how, how is this our, our fault? And, and recognizing that, not using it as a moment to feel bad for ourselves and cry and whine and, and do some charity, but say, yeah. no, I'm going to revoke my social license yeah. and I'm going to um, no longer allow these companies to use my work, my labor, my love, my institutions uh, in order to greenwash, whitewash, artwash um, mm -hmm. their, the harm that they're doing. And that really, I mean, so much goes back to that, that idea of complicity and this idea of saying, look, acknowledging your complicity is, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever, is an important step in saying, like, we can name this and we can hold this every day and say, as I walk through whatever, the, the world that I walk through, I am complicit in this and, and I need to recognize that and to exactly. see what I can do. Exactly. We're all complicit. And, you know, I, I think it's important for us each as individuals um, to have some time for self-reflection as to where our power um, mm -hmm. as individuals lie. Mm -hmm. um, we each have um, our own nodes of power, um, whether, you know, that be through our relationship with, um, our larger community, you know, some of us are, are community leaders, some of us are educators and have, um, the ear and, and minds of, um, young folk to inspire. Um, some of us are, um, workers or administrators or shepherds of institutions and, those institutions can be churches, they can be schools if we're administrators, they can be think tanks, and they can be cultural institutions. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, each of these uh, nodes of power have their own orbits and their own reach. Um, so as individuals who are connected with a cultural institution um, or a science institution or an educational institution, I think it's important for us to... Um, recognize, you know, what influence we can have over over that sphere, um, and recognize the influence that uh, oil industry logos um, or branding um, have also also have over over those over those spheres and over those publics. Um, I 
think the probably starkest example, the most egregious example, which is always a good place to start, yeah. right? Before even starting to think about the more subtle examples, uh, is probably the Audubon uh, Aquarium of the Americas. Have you been there? Mm-mm. Oh my God. So you got to go. It's mm-hmm. expensive. Uh-huh. Um, but... Um, yeah, I I recently went to the aquarium, and I used to go all the time as a kid. Uh, every class, mm-hmm. <laughs> every year would find a reason to take us to the aquarium, which is great. Um, but I hadn't gone, you know, since before Katrina, and mm-hmm. I went last year, and I was so excited, and I... And I go through the, the aquarium, and the aquarium is designed around the central tank mm-hmm. that you never see until you come to the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you go around the central tank, gradually kind of spiraling on a gentle slope uphill, and you go through the Amazon section, and you read about the impact of the logging industry on the Amazon rainforest ecosystem and and read a little bit about what you as uh, an aquarium visitor can do uh, to ensure that you are not contributing to the destruction of the Amazon ecosystem through logging. And you learn a little bit about the seahorses, right? And and the impact that tourism and uh, uh, the jewelry industry is having on the seahorse population and what you can do as an Aquarium of the Americas visitor in order to ensure that uh, you are not contributing to the destruction of that population. And then you come to the end of uh, the aquarium to a flight of stairs and you walk down these stairs and you emerge upon an enormous tank that finally has all the fish you've been waiting for. They've been Mm -hmm. withholding them, the sharks and the giant sea turtles and the stingrays. And at the center of this tank, is a massive replica of an oil rig. And <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's 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 dramatic. Wow. It's really dramatic. And on the front of the tank is a poster that says Gulf of Mexico supported by BP, Shell, Chevron, ExxonMobil, all of the oil industry mm-hmm. logos. And this thing has clearly been here so long and I got confirmation executive uh, eventually from some vice president of something mm-hmm. of the aquarium after I uh, caused a little stink mm-hmm. that uh, there are blank spots on the pa- on the poster of logos where clearly some oil companies have folded and been have merged with other ones uh-huh. and rather than just like reprinting the thing they just put like a sheet of white paper on top of them <laughs> yeah it's bizarre um it's egregious um and it's a little it's, it's really tacky it's like yeah. really tacky yeah and then surrounding the tank is this whole like uh exhibition about the rigs to reefs program and how you know the evil federal government was going to mandate that the oil industry remove its defunct, unused rigs. Uh, but thanks to you know uh, the lobbying efforts of the oil industry, um, they told the federal government about what incredible habitats these defunct reefs uh, make for uh, the gentle sea creatures of the Gulf of Mexico. Um, and thanks to their... Uh, benevolent, benevolent lobbying, the Rigs to Reef program was born. And look at this amazing... So that's what the rig uh, in the tank is serving as it's supposed to be this beautiful artificial reef. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really terrifying. And, you know, there's this uh, this 
um, stadium style, you know, seating in front of the tank. And you can just imagine, like, I was exhausted going through this, this aquarium because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a large museum and you're really excited a lot of the time. But people are going through with their children and they're screaming and running and they're chasing them through the halls. And you finally get out of all of these, like, you know, very interactive, flashy exhibits, and oh my god, and you can just sit on these stadium seats mm. and stare at this giant propaganda piece. That's, that's really intense. It's intense, and, you know, what was... And I'm, you know, standing there staring at it and watching, you know, the hundreds of people go by. Like, what is the daily attendance of the aquarium? And people are just blindly... Um, unthinkingly just absorbing Mm -hmm. this propaganda and i realized like why have i never seen this before i used to come here my entire childhood and Mm -hmm. i could never see it and it's only because this time when i finally went i was totally unsuspecting Mm -hmm. you know i was trying to go there have a good time Mm -hmm. but i was finally so immersed in the conversation that the blinds had been ripped off my eyes and i could see what Mm -hmm. was happening there um, and I think that's in large part what we hope Fossil Fest is going to, Fossil Free Fest is going to help do for people is rip off the blinders a little bit. We don't mm-hmm. expect all the world's problems, you know, to be solved from April 2nd to 8th, 2018. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but, you know, we hope that it'll be a place for us to finally have a much needed public conversation about what this propaganda, because again, like this is the most egregious, but... Um, we can talk about Hellas Foundation funding of our cultural institutions mm-hmm. and the fact that people don't know who that Hellas Foundation is Hellas Oil and Gas yep. and that they for years were fighting environmental uh, lawyers in an attempt to uh, gain access to an aquifer in St. Tammany Parish where they wanted to drill an exploratory fracking well. Mm-hmm. They wanted to frack an aquifer that provided water to 90% of St. Tammany Parish. And we just think of Hellas as these benevolent philanthropists, mm-hmm. right? And I think it gets more interesting when you start to look at the history of funding and whether, you know, I wonder if the funding ramped up a bit in mm-hmm. those five years that they were in uh, litigation. Um and so to finally, you know, for us to start talking about, well, are we able to adequately um, address climate change if we are, on the one hand, unaware of who the major players are in driving climate change, but also if we are unwilling to hold them accountable? And I think that there's a great deal of Stockholm syndrome, you know, in, in this relationship. And it's it's hard, right? Like mm-hmm. we don't have public funding for the things that matter. Um, we're all struggling to pay our rent. We're afraid. I've been told by several people within uh, the art sector, you know, who are these shepherds of these institutions, uh, that they're afraid of what will happen if they join this conversation. Um, and... I think that's Even very in, real. In the conservation sector, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, a, a, across the board, I think people are really afraid to say what they think. Right. Yeah. I think it's very real. But I think, you know, um, and surely the oil industry is larger than tobacco, but we can also look to big tobacco, um, you know, as an example of how this could play out, right? Like, big tobacco used to advertise everywhere. Um, they were 
the major funders of institutions before oil mm-hmm. came on, right? And eventually, uh, society revoked their social license for the tobacco industry to operate. That's really right. Mm-hmm. And uh, the tobacco industry removed their logos from schools and from uh, their removed their billboards and their really neat camel leather jackets, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and 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 the relationship between society and the tobacco industry um, irreparably changed. Um, and tobacco didn't go away, and people still smoke, and smokers probably believe that. Camel, Big Daddy Camel, shouldn't be on a billboard next to their child's school. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that we can all agree with. It doesn't mean that, you know, um, the industry uh, is... It doesn't... I think one of the main issues with this conversation is that we need to realize that there are a number of ways that this can go. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that we need to, we are not saying, let's say this, I am not, I wonder, I am a different entity than Fossil Free Fest. Um, I am a human who also doesn't have all the answers. And I am not sure uh, what we should do. I don't know whether we should say that we should not take any funding from these institutions because they are... Uh, using us as part of their PR propaganda machine. Um, and this is blood money. And this money, um, taking this money makes us even more complicit in the activities. Um, or to say that the oil industry has a lot of money and they've been extracting from this land since the discovery of oil in 1931. You know, it's really bizarre that we somehow think that the pollution in St. James isn't affecting all of us here in New mm-hmm. Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we need to think about this money in a different way. And maybe it's not that we say we don't want any of your money, but maybe we say we want all of your money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe we say that we don't want it to be considered philanthropy with your logo on it, um, but we want it to be called reparations. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there needs to be a truth and reconciliation process to determine how that money will be distributed among mm-hmm. uh, the population and sectors of Louisiana. Um, of course, prioritizing those who have uh, been affected the longest um, and the most, but ensuring that all of us can continue to survive um, on this land, um, if indeed it is possible. Um, so I think that there are many ways that this can honestly play out because I guess the difference between tobacco and big oil is that sure, individuals can make a decision about smoking, um, but we have to get off of oil as a yeah. society. Our addiction to oil is not just a, a matter of, of personal choice. Um, it's, it's destroying the planet and everything on it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think the stakes are a little bit bigger, but in terms of a pay, a playbook, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. it could potentially offer some guidance. Definitely. Um, well, all right. So, um, we're sort of starting to run out of time. So I guess I'm wondering, this interview is going to air on Thursday, the 15th of March. Fossil Fuel Fest starts the first movie night is the 2nd of April. I wonder if there's any sort of volunteering or community sort of support or engagement or getting the word out, uh, that you're looking for folks to do between now and then. 
Oh my God, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, Antenna is organizing this event. Um, little, little old Antenna. It seems like we're a lot. I like to say that our social footprint is a lot larger than our institutional footprint um, mm. because we're a very small staff. But we do a lot. Um, so, we definitely are going to need some volunteer support. Um, and we're, you know, organizing this in partnership with some incredible um organizations across the city to like name a few joe mitchell center mm -hmm. grow Dad youth farm who are both providing uh their um in beautiful uh grounds mm -hmm. for the fe the fest to take place on so the and the broad theater so the fest um starts with films uh april 2nd to 5th at the broad um moves on to joe mitchell center for april 6th and 7th and then on to Grow Dad Youth Farm for our culminating day um, on April 8th. Um, and we're also in partnership with the New Orleans Center for the Gulf South and Gulf Restoration Network and 350.org, Novak, and uh, a studio in the woods, and Bring Your Own, and Hidden History Tours, and Louisiana Bucket Brigade, um, and so many other really incredible uh, local and national organizations. Um, but we still need volunteers mm -hmm. to <laughs> make things happen. And um, there is free food on all the days of the fest um, and free drink. And so y'all will be taken care of. Um, food provided by Black Swan Experience, Brown Girl Kitchen, and Carmo Cafe. Awesome. Um, so three really amazing restaurants, catering organizations, um, that have sustainability and, and, um, ethics at the core of their missions. Awesome. Yeah. Um, great. So, and then just my last question would be to, if folks wanted to learn more about the fest as it's approaching, you have a website, you got a Facebook, what are they, what's the website called? Yeah. The website is fossilfreefest.org. It is fossil free fest, not fossil fuel fest. Um, it's a pretty amazing mistake that everyone makes. Oh no! <laughs> um, I love it. I think it's great because everyone says fossil fuel fest, and I'm like, no, that's jazz fest yeah. that you're thinking about. Jazz fest is fossil fuel fest. Yeah. Every fest, French Quarter fest <laughs> yeah. is fossil fuel fest, presented by Chevron. Uh -huh. Jazz fest presented by Shell. Um, so fossilfreefest.org and uh, the Facebook is uh, just facebook.com forward slash fossilfreefest um, and uh, Antenna I guess has a Twitter. <laughs> I do not use uh, much social media. So I, it's antenna.works and it's antenna with an A like the bunny ears A-N-T-E-N-N-A -N -N -A, rather than the insect antenna. Oh. <laughs> Um, yeah and um uh and then we have an instagram which i think is also antenna works Great. don't quote me on that <laughs> <laughs> you know look around the instagram you're sure to find yeah it um okay great and my name is jacqueline brown thank you so much for speaking with us today yeah thank you mm -hmm.